in terms of just general sort of, you know, do token holders want it? You know, I think as a token holder in any project, I like to see progress and forward momentum. I, I think the challenge with the industry as it is today is that people probably bought into these projects without a good understanding of what they're buying into. I might have bought an NFT a year ago, and I'm not really that aligned in sort of where it's going towards right now. You know, it's great that they're sort of making progress, but is that still aligned with what I want or what I thought I was buying into? And maybe that's not. Hello and welcome back to Floorcast, the NFT podcast. And this is episode 53. I'm back in the hosting seat. I have to thank my man Corwin again. He did a fantastic job last week stepping in as a host as I struggled with a wisdom tooth infection, uh, which wasn't fun, following a chest infection at the back end of 22. So I'm hoping for better luck in 2023. Uh, someone in the Discord has already started totting up how many absences I've got from the forecast due to um, due to sickness, which hopefully won't be any in 2023. Anyway, it's a two-man show again this week, and the ever-present Chris K becoming Mr. Consistency, my friend. Hey, Pep, good to see you. Happy New Year. I'm glad yeah. um, your health problems seem to be clearing up. Did, did you end up getting the wisdom teeth yanked out, or are they still there and just behaving themselves now? Well, so, I mean, I don't want to get into too many details, but I guess we will. So, my bottom right one, when it started coming out, got infected. And the first time it was really bad. This was like two and a half years ago. Um, and as you know, I'm still a young man, still 26. So they're, they're coming out this kind of time. And it got really bad. infected. had to have antibiotics. I was off work for a couple of days because I literally couldn't do anything. And then they got infected another two or three times after that, even though I was looking after them really well. But every infection was less and less severe until they stopped. So I had like six months where it was a bit annoying but like i was like scrubbing them a lot you know bit of salt water they were good and so when this one happened which was my top right wisdom tooth i was like ah you know it can't be that bad it does hurt more than the smaller infections but like i'll just scrub it and you know salt water and i'll be fine but i was doing i was flying on the saturday and I'd made that decision on the Sunday before. And then as Saturday approached, I was like, wow, I've still got ear pain. And I don't want to get on a plane with ear pain, especially a six, seven hour flight. So I went to the dentist, got antibiotics, and uh, it sorted me out. I'm still paying close attention to it, though, giving it scrubs. I've got my water flosser. I've got a small brush as well. And I've got special mouthwash and doing some salt water rinses. So um, hopefully it's behind me. Cool. So you're following the British um, dentist uh, tooth cleaning technique where it's basically scrub it with salt water um, and hope that it goes away. Yeah, well, with some tooth infections are quite annoying. You have to like scrub until they bleed, which is quite horrible. Like a dentist will say that to you, like scrub till it bleeds, it will hurt. But like it's the only way to like stop the food setting in and you need to, Interesting. You need to get the blood out. Um, you need to Got stop it. getting I food in there. I still have all of my wisdom teeth. Like every time I go to the dentist, um, they're like, Oh, you really should get these yanked out. Like my view is if it's not bothering me, I don't really want someone sort of pulling something out of my jaw. So right now I'm holding on. Hopefully, um, they'll never become an issue. Yeah. I, I haven't got mine out yet. And so. I don't know. If I get one more infection, though, I'm out, Chris K. I'm out of the wisdom. It, it just sounds terrible. Like, uh, 
I hear all these sort of stories of like, oh, you can hear your teeth cracking as they pull it out. It's like, oh, nope. And apparently you're out for the count for like a week. So I definitely miss a Floorcast episode. Which yeah, in fact, I think everyone I, I know who have had their wisdom teeth out have had it infected. Um, so like, are you really getting away from anything, Pat? Yeah, so other bit of news. Um, you're on the right side of the pond this week, right? I know, I'm on Eastern Standard Time in Toronto. And I've already had a couple of people try and call my bluff and be like, do you want to meet in Toronto? Yeah, I saw Colwyn sort of really desperate to meet up with you in the Floorcast chat. Um, you know, watch out, he'll come and find you. I'll always make time for my fans, and, and Corwin's one of them. So uh, there we go. Um, how have you been since we last spoke? I've been good. So when did we last speak? It was like the start of December, and then we did the crazy record a few episodes in advance, and we forgot what day it was. Um, good. So obviously Miami, Art Basel, fantastic. It's really put me in a good mood for the holiday season. Then I got COVID and felt like really crappy for a week. Um, but I'm back firing on sort of all cylinders, well, as much as I ever was um, right now. Yeah, generally sort of enjoying the start of the new year. It's busy. There's lots of stuff going on. People seem to be wanting to launch NFTs again, which is um, a positive sign, I think. Yeah, well, why do you think that is? I mean, I think you're definitely sort of seeing the fruits of everyone's effort in terms of building things. You know, you have a lot more robust technology stack now, whether that's around minting, whether that's around token gating and stuff like that. I think a lot of artists have been experimenting with open editions, you know, and I know we have a listener question around that a bit later, but like, I think that has been sort of a really interesting new trend that's just got people feeling a bit more interested again. And it's less of a case where, okay, I'm spending hundreds of dollars on an asset that will probably be worth nothing in 12 months time, it's actually, oh, I'm spending 20 bucks, I'm getting a cool piece of art out of it. So I think you're sort of seeing bits of that. I think you're sort of seeing more projects actually sort of deliver on utility. And I think there's probably a few things we'll be talking about a bit later on that. And I, I don't know, I think also new year, new marketing budgets. Um, mm-hmm. And folks are now sort of figuring out, oh, we can actually afford to do something in the Web3 space. You know, wh- what should we be doing? So I think it's like a combination of all those factors. And obviously this week as well, Ethereum has been rising in value, shockingly. Hopefully that um, continues. I, I forgot what that felt like. Like, is that supposed to happen? I, I, I don't know. I, I got used to this $1,200 ETH uh, figure. but I thought that was like a new fixed fee. Yeah. I, I mean, who knows? You know, this time next week, it'd be $5,000. Um, nice. I'll keep my fingers crossed. Did you buy the dip? Um, I didn't. I had a lot pre-dip um, mm. that I've been hanging on to. Um, so I'll probably be sort of making a few decisions as it goes back up. Damn. Well, we, I hope you'll keep us abreast of those decisions because I want to um, front run you. <laughs> anyway, um, we've got a couple of interesting topics here uh, that I actually don't know that much about. So I'm going to rely on your knowledge here. First of all, Tiny Colony leaves Sol for Immutable X. Another detractor, Chris K. So first of all, I want to ask you, what is Tiny Connolly? Connolly? Not Sean Connery, it's Tiny Colony. So, I mean, it's a small colony. It's a small group of things. Um, no, I'm only kidding, guys. Um, 
I did actually research uh, for this show today, um, so this won't be a repeat of Game of Thrones. So Tiny Colony is a pixel art game on Solana, and they claim to be the first ever Web3 construction and management simulation. Looking through their videos and everything, it seems to be like very similar to sort of Fallout 76 or like SimCity with a bit of tower defense thrown in. So you're controlling this ant colony and you're building um, tunnels and sort of buildings and little ant guns and ant turrets and stuff as you go. It's kind of like a modern version of Sim Ant. Do you remember that? I don't. I was going to say SimCity. Oh, no, there's a phase... I want to say the late 80s, early 90s, where... Chris, you just asked me if I remember something from a period before <laughs> I was born. I just want to, like, just want to, just want to get that straight. <laughs> the gaming classics, you know, you should know these things. Um, but yeah, there's a period where they sort of did sim everything. So you had, um, I think, sort of sim life where you, like, made creatures. You had sim ant, you had sim tower where you were running an apartment building. Um, and like lots of like weird ass, um, terrible derivatives. But the ant one, you're basically an ant and you're sort of collecting stuff from the world, taking it down, feeding it to your queen and avoiding being eaten by spiders. Um, it, it was sort of, you know, it, it, a slightly different take on sort of the city building game, but that, that's kind of what, uh, Tiny Colony have built. They sold a token and, um, I think like 15,000 NFTs. Back in January of last year, they raised about $3 million, um, and they were building on Solana. And I think midway through the year, they released a beta of the game, so you get an idea of the gameplay. So in terms of what they've done since, like they seem to have a strong team. Um, I was looking at some of the resumes, and there's people from like Sony, PlayStation, um, Electronic Arts, etc. Like, they built up, I think, like a dozen or so people with industry experience and credentials. It seems like back end of the year, development maybe stalled a bit through like technical difficulties building and scaling the game. So what's happened this week is they've um, announced that they're moving to Immutable X. Um, and they have like an, a big sort of blog post going through like all of the advantages of moving over. So, you know, Immutable is an EVM compatible L2. It's really focused around gaming instead of waiting like seconds for transactions most process in like maybe sort of 50 to 100 milliseconds there's no gas so you're not you don't need money in your wallet to actually sort of play the game and generally it's a bit more reliable and a bit better sort of structured if you're coming from that web 2 side yeah. of things where you really want sort of apis and like sdks to interact with stuff yeah, it's also really good for games that are still going to be reliant on off-chain data, which a lot of them will be, even in the kind of cryptosphere. And I think Immutable are trying to carve out that niche of being the kind of layer two game chain. This is kind of something I've been talking about for like 12 months now is going to live in a multi-chain future, but you're going to have to nicheify your needs. And I think a lot of these chains, where whether they're like layer ones or layer twos competing with, Ethereum or, or being compatible with them or complementary to them wanted to maybe chew more than they need. And, you know, I know Immutable and a few others were looking at like sports and a few other angles, whether or not they can go beyond gaming and, and, and try and have other clients on their chain. But I think they're back down to, you know, really focusing on gaming, which I think is a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, they, they spent a lot of time touting the sort of performance uh, benefits. But the other bit that I think is sort of really interesting is that they're really talking up the accessibility aspect. So Immutable has, um, I believe, their own custodial wallet solution. They have the fiat on-ramps to pay with a credit card. You know, they're, they're really framing this move as, you know, this is the only way they can prepare for the masses of gamers who aren't necessarily Web3 or crypto native. I mean, they, they have a good reason for this. I'm curious if any money on the back end changed hands. So if they're just getting sort of a lot of dev support and consulting out of it, you've got to imagine something is sort of going on there. But yeah, they, they seem to be sort of really thinking through this. It seems to be a very sort of considered decision on their part. And the other sort of thing, like reading between the lines of the press release and some of the PR they've done around this, it sort of highlights that, you know, Solana maybe isn't well suited for these things. It seems like they've had a bumpy ride um, on everything they've tried to build on Solana, including just minting tokens. So I, I'm really curious, you know, what that's sort of signaling. And just generally with this, with um, D-Gods, um, where this leaves Solana if all the sort of top projects are actually sort of uh, leaving? Yeah, I mean, I wish we had Corwin here so we could um, ask him. It does really call into question, like, I mean, Solana fundamentally is the same from a chain perspective. I mean, I'm sure a lot of validators have, have left and, and so on and so forth, but I'm not really that surprised that people are jumping ship when things are bad, right? That that, that send, tends to be the kind of survival instinct in, in most entrepreneurs, and they'll go to where commercially it's responsible for them, their, their shareholders, their their employees and, and customers. And um, yeah, I guess people are kind of going risk off with chains that maybe are you know closer to the Ethereum ecosystem, which has kind of thrived throughout um, in terms of activity, in terms of deploys and, certain, and, and stuff like that. Even during this bear, you know, Christine at Floor has done some awesome artwork on Tezos. And, you know, I was writing up about Manchester United Football Club's Tezos drop and even chains like that who uh, have done really badly from a price perspective during this bear market. If you look at their activity, their transactions, their deploys, smart contract interactions, all of those have kind of trended upwards um, or, or at least not gone down as much as the price. So um, curious to see if that's, that's going to be the same for Solana 12 months down the line. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like, I think they've really been hurt um with sort of the lack of reliability or at least perceived lack of reliability. If your blockchain is sort of down for many hours randomly, it's a problem. And then like, I can't help but think that the EVM compatibility is sort of driving a lot of these decisions. Like it's a lot easier to deploy contracts and write contracts on Ethereum. I, I think it's just a lot more complicated dealing with sort of rust on Solana, especially for sort of newer developers who are coming from a web development background. And so sort of they typically only really know JavaScript. It's just a massive sort of learning curve versus Solidity, which, you know, it's not JavaScript. It's not sort of simple, but you can at least sort of follow along, I think, a lot easier because you have a similar syntax. So I, I don't think that has helped Solana. I don't know how much it's playing into that, but like the combination of all these factors, it's like, you know, are you really getting something better than looking at Polygon, looking at sort of Immutable, 
or any of the other EVM compatibles. It's like, you know, if we go back to the analogies from before you were born again, it's like VHS versus Betamax. You know, you might have technical advantages with Betamax tapes, but VHS won in the end. Again, thank you. Um, quick question before we go on. Why is your company called Made with Mason, Risky? Yeah, so um, we were sort of racking our brains together on what to call it when we started. Um, this is a problem with sort of any sort of line of business these days and that all of the good domain names were taken. So we were sort of thinking, well, we're building things, you know, back in sort of the olden days, you'd have masons who were craftsmen building and uh, designing sort of brickwork. Uh, so when we thought, oh, well, we're building on the blockchain, it's sort of a similar thing. We're building these sort of structural assets that are building the next generation of web applications. So Mason just seemed like a good um, one to use. And there's a nice emoji that goes with it. And um, Made with Mason was available. Generally, you know, when it comes to naming startups, there's a few things I'd recommend, you know, for anyone out there looking to start their own company. Try and keep it on the top end of the alphabet. Then if you're ever in a list, you'll be near the top. And then don't drop vowels. Don't like misspell it. Don't try and be cute because all your customers will misspell it and they won't be able to find it. So try and keep it as straightforward as possible. Are there agencies that help companies name stuff? Like, is there a name agency? There is. Um, if not, then we should think about that. Yeah. So I was researching this a while ago and there's like one company that really specializes in just naming other companies. I think it's, um, it might be Lexicon. Um, oh, but yeah, okay. pretty much all they do is sort of think up product names, um, all day. So Lexicon, they did like Sonos, <laughs> Febreze, um, Impossible Meats, um, OnStar. I mean, Febreze, I could have thought up of. I'm sorry. Absolutely. But you would produce like a 10-page deck explaining why it's yeah. so great. Which is what I'm saying. The other thing they do is like they screen for trademarks. So like you might come uh. up with a perfect name, but then, oh no, someone in Idaho is using it for a similar business. You can't touch it. Um, and th that is the most frustrating part because you land on the name, you can start picturing like the brand in your head, and then you find out, oh, shoot, we can't use it. Um, um, or you could just decide to use it and deal with the renaming down the road, which I, I assume mm. is what happened to like companies like Jarvis.ai, who had to rename to Jasper, most likely mm -hmm. um, because of Iron Man's lawyers. Oh, God, really? Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. Um, okay, well, our next topic is Zuki launching a virtual city. Um, so Zuki have been quiet for a while now, but a virtual city, Chris K, is this what you expected to, to pop up from the Azuki franchise? Can I call it that? I don't know what to expect um, anymore um, with these projects. Like they, they, they keep on coming out with weird and wonderful things. So um, I think it's worth clarifying, like this isn't a 3D metaverse, like um, Other Side or any of the other sort of ones uh, springing up. Um, this is more web-based experience. It kind of looks and feels like Shadow Quest done well. Um, so you have a little virtual city, top-down view, and then you can like click around and like, okay, I can explore and go into the gymnasium, or I can go and go to the coffee shop and meet people. Or there is some like weird dating game called Love Island in there. If anything gets them sued, it'll be uh, using that name. 
Um, yeah, it will. Are you watching the new South Africa Love Island series? No, there is um, a series in the U um, that's just came on in the US um, that I want to watch called Milf Manor. Um, <laughs> I can report back and uh, give the listeners a review. Well, I've been watching the new Love Island South Africa, the, U- the UK edition. I know that sounds weird. It's because they have to do it somewhere warm so they can be in less clothes. Um, just before we continue talking about like virtual cities, because basically this has become like SimCity NFT's episode of Floorcast, because we don't have any other topic. Do you want to mention, listening back to the last Floorcast, I'm kind of disgusted that you and Corwin have never watched Game of Thrones. To, to have three minutes of content about whether or not their hands are big in the actual show was a really terrible way to crown 52 episodes of the Floorcast. A full year's worth of content, I must say. I mean, it happened. We were reacting. Sometimes we don't have time to fully research anything. But, you know, really, Pat, this is a matter of perspective. You know, I'm sure for Peter Dinklage, everyone has big hands. Um, and I, I'm sure the sort of other sort of mythical creatures in the lore of Game of Thrones that also have uh, big hands. So, you know, we were just extrapolating and, you know, sometimes we make mistakes, but we stand by those mistakes. I don't think you can stand by uh, your interpretation that the entirety of Game of Thrones was from Tyrion's perspective and therefore everyone had really long big hands. I I mean, why not? Uh, You know, we, we strive to be inclusive here and part of that is seeing it from everyone's perspective. Can I ask, they they are legitimate Game of Thrones NFTs, right? So far, no one has come out and sort of sued them for uh, ripping off the IP. So I think they were licensed through HBO by another company that specializes in um, bringing sort of film and TV IP. Um, It was actually on a podcast I was listening to the other day. Um, and they, this is sort of recorded like right before they launched and they seemed very proud of it. <laughs> Obviously no one had seen the hands. Um, what would you do if someone came to you at Made with Mason with that imagery? Like when you were loading it up? <laughs> um, I mean, we have um, minted some questionable looking NFTs, um, you know, you always try and be diplomatic, maybe sort of bite your tongue and sort of avoid asking too many questions about the logic and the reason behind the imagery. You know, I'm really just more interested for those projects. You know, what is the law here? Why do they have big hands? Why do they have, uh, I don't know, chainsaws for arms? Like what happened uh, to the character so that it leads to that? Like all I need to know is I need to understand it, then I can get behind it. Yeah, I'm just on the official OpenSea page. They're currently in like boxes that are not amazingly designed. Yeah, so it's a trading card mechanic. So each box, I think, has either seven or 11 NFTs in there. Um, And those NFTs are cards or they're those characters? They are multiple things. So, you know, you have a few characters, you have um, cards. There is one card with just meat on it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that was part of the show or not. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the idea is like they come together and they form some sort of like customizable card game. So you get your deck, you can play with your friends based on that. Though I don't think they've actually built like an official place where you can like play and sort of um, collaborate um, on the card collections or anything. I think they, I don't know, they expect you to print it out or something. That would be a first and also a way to set you up from the crowd, right? Print your NFTs. 
That would be good. I'm sure there's sort of many services that would do that. Like you've got impossible objects that put it in a frame. This is just a bit more wasteful and a bit less useful. Anyway, back to Azuki. And I have to say, apologies if you hear any drilling in the background. There is someone near me in this apartment block drilling, which is not great for a podcast. Um, so Virtual City, kind of more Web 2, like Stickman vibes. Do you remember that game? Was it Stickman? Where you like ran around as a Stickman, like going to the gym. Anyway, do you think you would be like, wow, this is great if you had an Azuki? Um... Probably not. I don't know. Like that—that's the thing. As um, an older person, as we've uh, discovered uh, this episode, you know, I, I don't sort of have that desire to like run around a virtual world and do these things. Like, I think it's an interesting metaphor for like the sort of things you can do with your token. I'd be interested to take a look inside some of those experiences. It seems like most of them are sort of coming soon are not really sort of fully active at this point. But like, just give me a page of links. Like, don't make me work for it um, is probably what I'd say. I could appreciate it's well done, but, you know, I don't know if I want it. You know, I think in terms of just general sort of, you know, do token holders want it? You know, I think as a token holder in any project, I like to see progress and forward momentum. I, I think the challenge with the industry as it is today is that, People probably bought into these projects without a good understanding of what they're buying into. Roadmaps change. And like, you know, I might have bought an NFT a year ago and I'm not really that aligned in sort of where it's going towards right now. And like, this is, I think is going to be a bigger sort of thing as projects go beyond, um, just NFTs and start thinking about sort of merchandise, apparel, TV, movie, entertainment, um, are building software products. It's like, you know, it's great that they're sort of making progress, but is that still aligned with sort of what I want or what I thought I was buying into? And maybe that's not. And in that case, like, how do you bring those holders along? Or are you sort of saying, okay, well, we've used Web3 as a way to sort of bring money, we'll maintain this community and do certain activities, but most of our effort is going to be focused over here building an anime city um, with a dating game and a gym. <laughs> and like you look at sort of other projects um, like Floor, like they've took a totally different approach. Like in software development, um, there's a concept called tracer bullets. And that is essentially building an end-to-end approximation of a system as quickly as possible and then sort of iterating on it. So you can see like the full flow of data, the fl full flow of how everything works. You can identify anything that's tricky or doesn't quite work the way you intended, where you might need to change things. And then you just keep on iterating on that and making it a higher fidelity and actually sort of building the functionality behind it. And like Floor, I think, has sort of took much more of that approach where they've built an app, they've built a lot of features in there. They've been very clear about where they're going in terms of, you know, this is an app to help you understand your NFTs. And over time, we've seen massive improvements, massive new features, and just generally everything on that foundation getting better and better and better. And like, I don't think anyone in the Floor community bought in not knowing that was the goal. But I think like a lot of these PFE projects, that's just not true. Yeah, I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see what a lot of these big NFT projects do over the next 12 to 18 months. And 
how the token holders within those NFT projects respond to what they do. And I do think there is going to be a bit more of a, well, what now approach to a lot of these projects from holders, not necessarily from the projects themselves, because I start to think that the incentives get misaligned a little bit. And potentially, you know, there are a lot of legal constraints as to why those incentives become more misaligned, but it's going to be interesting nonetheless. Um, Before we move on, I need to remind you that we are a community-led podcast by the Floor NFT app community. And if you don't know what Floor is, it's your very own NFT portfolio in your pocket. An app that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface, showing you price movements, latest sales, and so much more. Chris, we have no other topics, but I wanted to ask you, are we going to make some Floorcast NFTs? I think we should. I think we we should make NFTs, we should make merch. I think we should make a whole virtual city where floorcasties, um, or whatever we call them, uh, can go and hang and sort of, um, you know, maybe they can meet their heroes. Like, you know, you get an NFT, you go to the virtual city, you meet Corwin. If you're listening and you've got any better ideas that what me and Chris are shitballing right now, please do. I wonder if there's a way for us to create something where we put the audio into some sort of random art generator and it spits out some art. Can we do that? I mean... That sounds like proprietary tech to me. I feel like it's just the same as talking to ChatGPT. Like, we just get someone to transcribe our audio, throw it into one of these okay, things, that's easy. see what comes out. Otter AI. But it's not transcribed too accurately. We could transcribe a segment, like one segment, and then be like, what art? symbolizes this segment of content from this podcast and then make that into an NFT. But we need like an overarching style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's some brand work there done. Maybe we need, you know, a name as well. And that's where that naming agency comes in. Oh, yeah. Um, though I think they're quite expensive. We need to sell a ton of NFTs. I mean, we could just literally have, and this could be quite funny, could be like, that generative art element, but also with audio embedded. And you could have like, I don't know, one snippet from Corwin and you could like augment his voice to make it sound like he's like in outer space or something like that. So it could be like, oh, Ped, have you got an air fryer? But then like there's generative art behind it. And so people like like the collectability of it. I don't know if that's going to work. Maybe we're going to disrupt heavily the music NFT and our NFT worlds concurrently. I mean, I feel like we can, you know, maybe do like a soundboard or like virtual mixing desk where you can like splice things together and make your own floor cast. Oh, that is really smart. Yeah. And then you mint it as an NFT. Exactly. And like it's unique, one of one. One of one audio. Yeah. I, I think you just need sort of enough sound clips to do something vaguely incoherent. Well, actually, have you seen the project by, and I don't think he'd, uh, he'd do this with us. Um, there's an artist called Reaps100 who does these things called, um, voice gems. I'm just going to send them to you in the, in the floorcast channel right now on Discord. Basically, he has this, like, he creates these gems. They're called, vo- just type in like voice gems NFTs. They're voice generated digital gemstones. And so. Like, if you're an artist, you can, like, do an album and, like, the first word you say on each song, you could create into, like, a voice gem. So I'm thinking, what's a slightly more crude, funnier version of that, but with floorcast audio? Excuse me, so I like these things. Like, these are pretty. These are, like, real art. They're really cool. 
they're way too like high end for us. Yeah. Wait, this is the digital engagement ring. Is that what they're saying? Hmm, interesting. I mean, I think you could do something similar with Flawcast Audio, and you just have different sort of components of the graphic based on either who's talking or what we normally talk about. Yeah. I'd love to see a word cloud of one of our episodes and just sort of see what sort of stands out there. Can we feed it all into Wordle and just sell that? Let's sell that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be much demand for these things. I mean, if we did a voice gem, I think we could auction those and make $10 an episode, maybe. Well, this is why we need... Cover Corwin speaker fee. This is why we need utility. Like, you know, you collect all of them. You can go on a date with Corwin. Um, yeah, or you get like a free Made with Mason consultation. You get invited to Curtis's Gen Dungeon. I hear there's a private one. That's just rumored. I don't know that for sure. Um, don't know. Chris Madden makes you a mobile app. There could be stuff there. Yeah. Utility. I think so. Sounds like sort of a consultancy though. <laughs> Maybe um, we do like... Not from the date bit with Google. We have a live peanut gallery when we record and like you have a token, you get access. A peanuts gallery? Well, like a chat room or something. Like let people oh. listen to this, like the pre-edited version. Live. And then they can see just how much of a shambles it, it is usually. Yeah, no one wants to see that. I mean, they could listen to it live or watch it live. Yeah. And we could token. We could do real time feedback. You know, we'll have the army of fact checkers telling us to shut up and uh, stop making things up. Um, yeah. Or we do like an extra fortnightly radio show, Ooh. like speaker questions. Let's do that for token holders only. I'm down. Perfect. A Chris K radio show, especially while I'm on ESC. Love it. I'll, I'll just Thank record you. like five minutes when I'm in the shower each day. It, it can be a special feed mm. for mm. Uh, mega collectors. Okay. Okay, I, I think we should wrap up. Before we do, has anything come out of the Justice Department doing something? Yeah, so... To do with crypto? Breaking news. Uh, the, just, the DOJ announced that there will be a major international cryptocurrency enforcement action announced at noon today. It's now 45 minutes in. noon 46. And, um, yeah, um, it, it seems to be a non-event. So they've announced that um, they are taking action against a crypto exchange called Bitslato, which I've never what? sort of heard of. Um, I think they're sort of out of Russia and the founder is arrested for processing 700 million um, in illicit funds. So he was Russian, but he was arrested in Miami because that's where all the um, sketchy crypto people go, apparently. The exchange itself was registered in Hong Kong and is described as a high-tech axis of crypto crime. Oh, wait, the Miami guy lives in China? Wow, these are yeah, it's, um, very sort of multinational. But uh, yeah, so money laundering, etc., and potentially sort of narcotics and stuff also involved. Yeah, that, that seems to be it. And it seems like sort of, just like money laundering, Russian illicit funds, narcotics, that's it, really. But you know, the first line, apparently, from the DOJ was, today, the Department of Justice has dealt a significant blow to the crypto crime ecosystem. Oh, okay. That's going to be a new one. The crypto crime ecosystem. Yeah. Cool. I want to okay. know more about this ecosystem. Um, but yeah, it seems like prices are rebounding and sort of everything is good after being spooked uh, this morning. Yeah, I mean... Clearly. Like, I think it's a good thing that you're getting more action taken against bad actors in the space. Like, you know, as we 
get bigger, you need to do something about it. Just like I think a lot of these things wouldn't hurt to have regulation around. I do sort of question why, in this case, they sort of tried to make it such a big event. You know, we've got a big announcement coming, and then obviously the markets react with everything going down, and then it turns out to be a nothing, things go back up. Like, I feel like the sort of better way is to sort of communicate that. Sorry, I just had a quick look into the mullet chat. Has, is Corwin actually growing a mullet? Because I'm really not a fan of Um, it. I saw him the other day, and if he is growing a mullet, like, I think it's going to take a very long time. <laughs> I think we should just get him, like, a um, fake one. I know a few wig stores in the wig district where we can uh, go shopping. Um. Sorry, Siri just tried to interrupt the podcast, which was really annoying. We've got one community question here. This is from Antioch Argentius, who is one of the head mullet people. The very obvious topic to share are these open mints. I personally enjoy how they are democratizing art, cheap entry price, everyone can get at least one, but holding or buying more lets you play part of a game or experiment. This is pretty fun, but the question is if it is a staying moment or will it fade like every other fad? Every other fad, bloody hell, that is you know, depressing. Yeah, so I'm a fan of these because um, you've got sort of some fairly famous artists doing this. You've got some new talent offering it. You know, it's great exposure. And like, I think just having that low entry price is just getting people interested in art, interested in N NFTs again. The artist, it probably doesn't really make much difference for them either. You know, the amount that they're shifting, they're probably making comparable to what they would if they sold it as a one of one. So it's sort of win-win. You still get the money and, you know, you're building a bigger base. I, I think, you know, what's going to be interesting to see is like, you know, will these have the same secondary value as the actual one of ones? Um, or is this a case where, you know, you're actually paying for inexpensive great art, but you know you shouldn't expect to have that sort of resale uh, component. I think it's probably the latter, if I had to guess. Which honestly, if I'm getting good art for the same price I'd pay on the street, that's great. Where do you pay for art on the oh, street? The, 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 <laughs> so you can't see, but the uh, picture behind me, I actually got on off the sidewalk. Um, I'll take a picture of it and uh, post okay. it. But no, like. You know, you go around New York City on the subway, Union Square Park, like you have lots of like small Got you. art vendors. A lot of them are crap, but there's a few okay. nice ones there. Cool. Okay. Got you. Next time in New York. Where do you get your art, Pat? I'm not an art collector, so you can see there is literally a white wall behind me. <laughs> um, right, we're going to wrap up there because I've got a call soon and I'm sure Chris has got things to do. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us at The Floorcast on Twitter. You can find me at Pet Berusha on Twitter, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Sorry if you heard any drilling in the background. You can find Floor at Floor, like The Floor, on Twitter. And you can find Chris K not on Twitter anymore. Not on Twitter, um, but if you're on Farcaster, like the um, 23 other people, hopefully this week we'll sort of beat Decentraland for active users. Um, but you can find me Farcaster, Chris K. Or just madewithmason.com. Amazing. We'll have more floorcasts for you next week. If you enjoyed that, give us a review. And if you're listening in Austria, we're now charting in the tech charts in Austria. Oh, yeah. And I think that's all because of Chris K's father. Yeah, my dad um, was uh, telling me he was listening to the podcast and uh, he was on vacation in Austria last month. So I think he is an Austrian user. 
Amazing. Well, we're charting there in Bulgaria. So for those who live in Bulgaria or Austria, or maybe we're out the charts in, in Bulgaria at the moment. Yeah, I think we dropped out in Bulgaria. Hoping to get back in there. Whoever is from Bulgaria. Sorry. Did you just apologize for someone <laughs> living in died. <laughs> Whoever is listening in, in Bulgaria, uh, can you get your friends to? Because we need to get back up in the charts. Love our Bulgarian listeners. Love our Austrian listeners. We'll have more forecasts for you next week. None of what we have said is financial advice. Just great advice. Yeah.